a more balanced offensive attack, improving effort and communication on the defensive end, and young players stepping into new roles. Those are just a few reasons why Gonzaga can absolutely win a national championship. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. All right, show overview today. We are going to take a look at why Gonzaga absolutely could win the national championship this year. We're also, in the second segment, going to take a look at what are the hurdles? What are the things that are going to potentially prevent Gonzaga from reaching their ultimate goal? We're going to close out the show looking at Drew Timmy being named a second-team All-American for the third year in a row and whether he should have finally gotten that much-deserved first-team nod. All right. We're going to start out talking about the Zags and why they can win it all. We've talked a lot about their seed and their bracket and their region and some of the kind of pros and cons of that. Uh, certainly a 314 matchup against Grand Canyon coming up on Friday evening, followed by a matchup likely against TCU, the six seed. That team will play the winner of the Arizona State-Nevada game that is happening tonight. TCU will be without starting center Eddie Lampkin. That's a tough blow for them as he would be an impactful defensive player to have against Drew Timmy. Assuming Gonzaga advances there, they likely play UCLA, a UCLA team that is missing the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year in Jalen Clark. After that, again, you're assuming that the bracket goes chalk. You end up playing Kansas, the one seed. I think there's a very real possibility that UConn ends up being the team that Gonzaga plays in that matchup as well, again, assuming that uh, they continue to advance. Uh, So there's a decent draw here. UConn's a very, very good team. UCLA, obviously, a very good team. TCU was a a team ranked in the top 15, top 20 at times this year. So none of these are easy games necessarily, but a lot of it is lining up well for the Zags. For Gonzaga specifically, though, the reasons why they are a national championship contender are pretty simple. They're the best scoring team in the entire country. Defense wins championships is a common refrain, and we will absolutely talk more about the defense later in the show. But the way you win a basketball game is by scoring more points than the other team. Gonzaga does that better than anybody. They're number one in the country in points per game at 87 and a half per game. That is obscenely high number. They have more 100-point games this year than they ever have in a pass. And what has been considered a down year for the Zags, yes, they got 100 against Chicago State. Yes, they got 100 against Eastern Oregon. Still, this is a team that can score as well as anybody in the entire country. And at the end of the day, that's what you're trying to do for 40 minutes on a basketball floor. Gonzaga does it as efficiently as anyone. They're not only first in points per game, they are first in overall field goal percentage a hair under 53% on the season. One of the most efficient scoring teams in the entire country. One of the highest scoring teams in the entire country. They're second in the country in two-point field goal percentage, just under 60%. You can thank the big fella down on the block, Drew Timmy, for that. They are also number 11 in the country in three-point field goal percentage at 38.7. So they're not a whole lot on the offensive end of the floor that they do not do. 
They shoot well from inside the arc. They shoot well from outside the arc. They score in bunches. They play at a nice pace, not quite as frenetic as the pace they've played at in the past. Part of that uh, has just been personnel differences uh, on this team versus previous teams. Uh, they still are 12th in the country in assists. And so as much as the the, the loss of Andrew Nembhardt has been felt and there's been some, some criticism, some concern about Nolan Hickman, uh, the assist numbers are very, very good for this team. Part of that is that Drew Timmy is, is distributing the ball better than he ever has in his career. His 3.2 assists per game is a career high for him. Steve's not only 12th in assists, they're 337th in turnovers. Do you folks remember the concern about Gonzaga's turnovers earlier in the year? To be fair, it was it was a legitimate concern. It was not it was it was founded on legitimate turnover issues that were happening by the Zags early in the season against teams like Tennessee or excuse me, Texas, teams like Purdue, uh, teams like Xavier, they were having issues with it. And Nolan Hickman has settled into his role. Uh, We've seen Gonzaga adjust some of the stuff they have done on the offensive end of the floor to make it so that there's less room for, for turnovers. And now they're not turning the basketball over at all. And I shouted out Nolan Hickman a lot on Friday's episode. I shouted him out again on Tuesday's episode when kind of talking about key players who are going to help the Zags make a deep run. Nolan Hickman's a big part of that. And for him, it's not necessarily, they don't need him to score 15, 18 points a game to advance into the elite eight or, or further. They, they just need him to take care of the basketball. Don't turn it over, uh, knock down open shots when he has them distribute the ball. Well, play good defense. He has been doing that. He has been doing that for weeks. He's been doing that for months, quite honestly. And, and there's still people kind of holding on to a, a, uh, perception of him from the first two weeks of the season that has really not been the Nolan Hickman that we have been seeing uh, for the last few weeks. And if that continues into the NCAA tournament, uh, I think, A, that the Zags are going to have a very good run, and B, people who are going to have not watched a lot of Gonzaga basketball who've just heard, oh, their guard plays down this year, are going to be like, the the heck it is. <laughs> I think they're going to be a little surprised uh, because I don't think it's going to look like that when we get in the big dance. Um, yeah, more reasons for Gonzaga to potentially win the national championship. Again, we kind of touched on it already. The guard play has improved so much that the season has gone on. And Timmy's going to Timmy. Tim, Drew's been Drew since the since game one, since they needed him to take over in the Michigan State game. And he said, all right, fine, I'll take over in the Michigan State game. He has been that dude. I mean, he's been this dude since he was a freshman, uh, quite honestly. Like, this is who Drew Timmy is. But as the season has gone on, Drew hasn't necessarily upped his game, not – He's just been kind of consistent throughout, but we've seen Julian Strother take a huge step forward in terms of finding more autonomy on offense, finding more of a rhythm, finding more of a role. You know, you had that 40 point game against the the pilots uh, earlier in the season. And, and since then we've really seen him be more of a, a threat from beyond the arc, be more of a threat on the dribble drive. The floater game is just elite for Julian Strother. And then same thing with, with, we already talked about Nolan Hickman, but same thing with Malachi Smith as well. A guy who has really kind of, embraced his role as a sixth man, a microwave scorer off the bench, you know, a guy who who had an incredibly high usage rate during his career at Chattanooga prior to coming to Gonzaga. So having to make the adjustment from I am the guy, I have the ball in my hands every single possession to I am not only not starting, but when I come into the game, uh, I am not necessarily expected to be the the option one or option two or, or sometimes even option three uh, in the game. And it took him a while to kind of find that role. But as he did, You've seen him him tremendously improve and be such a critical part of what Gonzaga is trying to do uh, on the offensive and defensive end of the floor. He's very good at, on that side as well. And then I think there's something to be said for peaking at the right time. We talked about this in previous podcasts as well, but uh, Gonzaga doesn't often peak at the right time. I mean, quite honestly, that's not something that has happened for them in the past. And this year, we saw them struggle in November. We saw them pick it up in December. We saw them struggle in January. And then from like late January on, they have just been on a roll. Uh, on an absolute tear. They had the loss to St. Mary's, but other than that, 
this team has been cruising. Uh, and I think some of those close conference games will help them. They've played in close games. They're battle-tested. The BYU game is important because you, you found out what some of your weaknesses are. You found out how to win a game in a tough road environment. Santa Clara game, they won that one, but it was a close one throughout. USF, of course, the tip-in by Rasheer Bolton. The St. Mary's games, all three of them helped them significantly. Even the loss to LMU kind of helps figure out, okay, what are the things we need to work on and what are the things we need to do? In years past, when Gonzaga has just blown through the WCC without any challenges, they run into issues in the NCAA tournament, sometimes not until very late, but it does happen. So I think there's something to be said for this team potentially finding their groove at the right time in the way they've played the last few weeks and also having been battle-tested throughout the uh, non-conference and conference season. Well, in the interest of balance, there are some reasons to be concerned about Gonzaga making a deep run as well, mostly on the defensive end of the floor. We're going to talk more on that after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. The NCAA tournament is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scorers and threes drained. Maybe you have thoughts on the Arizona State-Nevada game tonight. Maybe you have thoughts on whether those teams will beat TCU to advance past Gonzaga. Either way, bet comfortably on an app that's safe, secure, super easy to use. Don't miss a chance to get your no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, segment two, still any patents, still Locked On Zags. I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Make sure to grab your bracket and go listen to Locked On College Basketball Bracket Breakdown. It's national analysis and the insights from local experts. The Locked On College Basketball Bracket Breakdown has everything you need to make the most informed decisions on your bracket. Find the episode on Locked On College Basketball YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're going to be a little bit of a downer here in segment two. We talked about how, uh, why the Zags have the ability to win the national championship, talked a little bit about their region, and of course their offensive firepower, the players coming into their own kind of at the right time as we get into the big dance. But we're going to talk here in the second segment about what are the flaws? What are the things that could trip this team up? Whether it's something that maybe doesn't trip them up until the Elite Eight, that would be great. Maybe something that trips them up a little bit earlier than that and, and makes this path a, a lot more difficult after all. You know, we've seen Gonzaga be a one seed most of the last three years, and this year they're a three seed. And nothing wrong with being a three seed. We we cannot be that spoiled that three seeds are, are considered a big devastating issue for the Bulldogs. But it tends to point towards a team that is maybe not as uh, is more flawed, perhaps, than teams in previous years. And I think that that's fairly clear here when you look at this Gonzaga team. I think the the biggest thing for me, and you could order these in a lot of different ways, but rim protection is, is a big issue for Gonzaga. And we've been talking about this since – August. I mean, quite honestly, once we kind of got a piece, uh, a look at what the final roster was really going to look like, and we knew that Efton Reed was going to kind of come in, and we knew that Anton Watson and Ben Gregg were, were maybe going to factor in there. We weren't exactly sure how all the playing time was going to shake out, but we knew that there wasn't a lot of rim protection on the roster. They didn't go out and get a player to replace Chet Holmgren in that role. And it has bared out throughout the season. The Zags defense has improved, but overall it is still an issue for this team. And blocks on the on the around the rim, protecting the rim, blocking shots, just not something that Gonzaga has done all that well. They average 3.3 blocks per game as a team that is 142nd in the country. 
So about average, almost exactly average across all NCAA teams. Chet Holmgren, I think, blocked around three-plus shots per game last year. So for Gonzaga, they're blocking as a team as many shots as he did individually. Now, block shots are not the only measure of success defensively, not even close. Uh, When you're talking about rim protection specifically, we have seen teams when they can get downhill, when they can get around screens, when they can get moving towards the basket, there's not anybody there to kind of help erase those mistakes. And that's what we saw in previous years, uh, I guess mostly last year, when Gonzaga's pick-and-roll defense maybe wasn't that great last year. But Chet Holmgren was there to just single-handedly erase any mistakes that Gonzaga's perimeter defensive players made that maybe Drew Timmy might have made hedging screens that allowed players to get open looks towards the basket. Chet Holmgren kind of took care of that. They're not anybody on this team that's doing that. Anton Watson has improved uh, in that area, but that's not his. He's better as a perimeter defensive player being asked to be a rim protector. He can do it and he's okay at it, but it's taking him away from what his best skill set is. Ben Gregg has improved as well, uh, but he had issues with body positioning earlier in the year. It's the same issues you kind of see with, with young players getting their first real run uh, in Gonzaga's system. He was uh, often a step slow, committing fouls, getting scored on, and he has improved, but not to the point where he's like a super great rim protector. He's a good offensive rebound. He's a tough-nosed guy, uh, and he does a lot of good things on the defensive end of the floor, but rim protection just isn't really his game, and, and, and quite honestly, with his size uh, and his pers- uh, his wingspan, I, I don't think he's going to be a big-time rim protector. I think he's going to be a hard-nosed rebounder, but I don't th- really see that for him in his future. And then kind of stemming off of the rim protection conversation is the pick-and-roll defense, because the reason that Gonzaga sees a lot of guards going hell-bent at the rim against them without a lot of people stopping them is because of Gonzaga's pick and roll defense. Communication on defense has been an issue. Mark, you talked about that on the Gimme Timmy podcast with Drew a a few months ago, kind of said, hey, this isn't a team that communicates all that well. And and it's something that we're working on. And we've seen it improve quite a bit. And you look at that St. Mary's game in in WCC championship and how well Gonzaga's defense did it, really preventing St. Mary's from getting the looks that they wanted. And part of that was a lot of familiarity, having already played 85 minutes against those guys uh, two games uh, earlier in the season. But part of it, I think, is that they are improving in terms of talking and communicating and calling out screens and hedging screens and doing all that stuff. But good guards are still going to exploit them. Teams with high-level pick-and-roll offenses are going to find ways to get Drew Timmy in space and force him to play perimeter defense, and he's not going to be all that good at it. And I think it's going to be an issue for the Zags, especially when you don't have an eraser down underneath the rim. The Zags have good perimeter guard defenders. Uh, Rasir Bolton has been very solid there. Malachi Smith has been very solid there. Of course, Hunter Salas coming off the bench is one of the best perimeter defensive players. He gets into foul trouble, which is a bit of an issue uh, for him. But otherwise, he, he plays phenomenal on that end of the floor. So it'll be interesting to see how Gonzaga balances those guys. Do they try to rely on them a little bit more? Uh, try to figure out ways to maybe not let teams exploit them out of the pick and roll, because if they do, I think it's going to be an issue. But then you run into the thing of, well, we could pack the paint, bring everybody in as much as possible, and then try to prevent team that prevent guards from getting downhill that way. But then you expose yourself to allowing open three-point shots. And Gonzaga hasn't been a particularly good three-point perimeter defensive team. And you've seen like in games against BYU and other teams where they have maybe attempted to, to pack the paint a little bit. Texas is a good example. They thought, hey, this is a Texas team that can't shoot. We're just going to pack the paint and make them shoot over us. And they did. And shout out to Texas in that game. They haven't shot that well pretty much ever since this season, but they did it in that game. Uh, BYU did it in their game. Like we've seen it happen before. So for the Zags, they have to be careful of, hey, we want to pack the paint. We want to prevent teams from getting downhill on us and getting to the, to the rim where we don't have a lot of help. 
But at the same time, we can't just let teams shoot open threes over us either because that's a that's a recipe for disaster in the big dance. And then finally, the last key. It feels like we talk about this key almost every year, unfortunately. It would be nice to have a year where we just didn't have to worry about free throw shooting. But guess what? We're going to be worrying about free throw shooting this year because the Zags uh, were barely a top 250 team in the country in free throw shooting percentage, 70.1. They were this close to not even shooting 70% as a team from the free throw line, 243rd in the country. Now, the Zags get to the line a lot. That is not an issue. Top 60 team in the country in terms of free throw attempts. They just don't convert them nearly enough. We know the culprits here. It's not a secret. Rasir Bolton is not the issue at the free throw line. Julian Strother, Nolan Hickman, those guys are not the issues at the free throw line. There's two guys who are really the big issues at the charity stripes, Drew Timmy and Anton Watson. Drew Timmy, in particular, uh, he draws the most contact. He gets to the free throw line more than most players in all of college basketball. He is elite at using his size, using his high basketball IQ, knowing how to get underneath guys, get them to make contact with him, and get to the stripe. It's a really really valuable skill. And even if he's not converting all of his free throws, it's still valuable because it pushes the other team to get into foul trouble. It puts them into their depth. It makes them play their backup centers more, but it would be nice if he was shooting a little better from the line. And it's worth pointing out his season numbers, 63.6% from the line. Yeah, that's bad. There's not any other way to really look at that. It is not good. However, from February on, from the first game in February until Gonzaga's final game against St. Mary's, Drew Timmy has shot 73.5%. That is 10 percentage points higher than his season average. That's a huge difference. If Drew Timmy shoots 73% from the free throw line in the NCAA tournament, that helps raise Gonzaga's ceiling a lot. Anton Watson, quite honestly, not as much help for him. 57% from the free throw line. Haven't seen a marked improvement from him in that spot, in that area as well. He doesn't take as many of them. Uh, again, him getting to the line is not a bad thing because it is forcing the other team uh, to, to maybe have to rearrange their depth a little bit. But he, he just hasn't shown a lot of improvement in that area of his game up to this point. Free throw shooting, pick and roll defense, rim protection, all going to be issues for the Zags. Can they? Can the offense, the high-octane offense, still power through those issues and lead them to the big dance? That's what we're going to find out in the next couple of weeks. All right, we're going to close out the show today, though, discussing Drew Timmy's case for the first-team All-American. He was a second-team All-American for the third year in a row. Was this the year that he finally deserves to get the first-team nod? We'll talk about that right after this. All right, segment three, Stony Patton's still locked on Zags. We're talking Drew Timmy, and we're talking the AP All-American selections in a move that surprises nobody. Drew Timmy was once again named an All-American, third year in a row for the big fella that he has been an All-American. He was also a second-teamer for the third year in a row. That seems to be where he resides these days. The first-team All-Americans for the 2022-2023 college basketball season Zach Eady at Purdue, Trace Jackson Davis at Indiana, Jalen Wilson at Kansas, Brandon Miller at Alabama, and Marcus Sasser from Houston. They seem to kind of follow an actual roster. Like Eady's definitely a center. Trace Jackson Davis is a 4-5, similar to Timmy. Jalen Wilson is kind of a 4 as well. Brandon Miller's like a 3-4. Marcus Sasser's a point guard. 
I mean, if you started this team, they'd be pretty darn good. Like it's not a team of five centers necessarily. So I wonder if that kind of played a role here. Uh, looking at the second team, you have, of course, Drew Timmy. You have Oscar Shibwe from Kentucky, a two-time national player of the year. Azulis Tabellis from Tommy Lloyd's team at Arizona. Jaime Jaquez from UCLA. And Jalen Pickett, the point guard from the surprising Penn State Nittany Lions. Now for Drew, if there was a year for Drew to be a first-teamer, it should have been this year. He had career highs in points, rebounds, and assists. Those are pretty important categories. Drew Timmy, 20.9 points per game, 7.3 rebounds, 3.2 assists. He was the, you know, again, career high in points, career high in rebounds, career high in assists on a team without as much star power as previous years. I'm not going to sit here and knock the players on Gonzaga's current roster because they are fantastic. But there is not a Jalen Suggs on this team. There is not a Chet Holmgren on this team. There may not even be an Andrew Nembhard on this team. Drew Timmy set his career highs in three critical categories without as much help around him on the offensive and defensive side of the floor and with the toughest schedule he has ever played. The toughest non-conference schedule without a doubt. Texas, Purdue, Xavier, Baylor, Alabama. We know how ridiculous the schedule was for Gonzaga. And then you got into a conference season that was, quite frankly, more difficult than they faced in a long time. Part of that was that Gonzaga just wasn't quite as good as those 21 or 22 teams. But part of it was that some of these teams have kind of risen up. Santa Clara is a good basketball team. LMU, pretty good basketball team. St. Mary's, of course, has been fantastic for the last couple of decades, but they were at a new level this year. This is the best, one of the best, if not the best St. Mary's team that we have ever seen. And Drew Timmy played him three times and still broke all of those records. Fantastic year from Drew Timmy. Should he have made the first team? Honestly, it's hard to say because while his numbers are fantastic and while this is probably the year and I think there's some legacy to it, he broke Gonzaga's scoring record. He's being talked about all over the place. I think you could have maybe given him a bump there. You got to pick somebody to remove. And it's a little bit tougher when you start looking there. I don't think that he has a case over Zach Eady. I do not think that he has a case over Trace Jackson Davis. I don't think that he has a case over Brandon Miller. So that leaves you with Jalen Wilson, who averaged almost the exact same amount of points per game, more rebounds per game, similar amount of assists, similar field goal percentage on a better team. Or it leaves you with Marcus Sasser. And that's part of the reason why I brought up the position things, because it does seem like they sort of tried to go with a first team, second team, third team. We didn't mention the third team. It was Armando Baycott. From North Carolina, Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel from Kansas State, Tyler Kolek from Marquette, and Chris Murray at Iowa. Regardless, it seems like they kind of tried to go with actual teams. And in that case, I don't think you can replace Marcus Sasser with Drew Timmy. But from a pure statistical perspective, there's an argument. Drew Timmy had more points per game than Marcus Sasser. He had more rebounds per game. Of course, you'd expect that as he's nine and a half inches taller. But he also had more assists. (laughs) <laughs> he was a more assists, more points, more rebounds than Marcus Sasser clearly had a, a bigger impact on his team. I don't think there's any real debate there. Was his team as good as Houston? No, Houston was the number one team in the country for huge chunks of the year. And Marcus Sasser is definitely a more impactful defensive player than Drew Timmy. I'm not going to pretend to argue that point because it is kind of foolish, but I don't know. It feels to me like there's an argument that Drew Timmy could have been a first team or Marcus Sasser could have been a second team, or you could have maybe done it over Jalen Wilson. Although again, that is a little bit of a tougher sell. 
I don't think this is a huge deal. I don't think Drew Timmy's going to lament not having made a first-team All-American. He was a second-team All-American three times. That is extraordinarily impressive. But considering the body of work he has put in in his career, considering the overall success that he has had, and that's not to take away from Sasser, who has also had a tremendous amount of success in his career, is also a senior. So I understand they had a tough choice to make. I get that. But it feels like somewhere in this run, Drew Timmy should have been a first-team All-American, and it's a bummer that he's going to leave Gonzaga without ever having that specific designation. All right, that is going to do it for us today. Don't forget to check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Of course, we have the bracket breakdown. We've broken down each individual region in subsequent episodes, keeping you up on the transfer portal and the coaching carousel as well. It is available on YouTube as well as wherever you get podcasts. Go find it there. Go find Locked On Zags on YouTube as well. Go hit that subscribe button. If you haven't done so yet, leave us a review on iTunes. Leave us a comment on YouTube. Find us on Twitter, whatever it may be. All right, thank you all for listening. And as we're just a few days away from the first game of the NCAA tournament, a hearty go Zags.